The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Finally, we get to talk some ball. We break down Michigan's 2020 schedule version 3.0 next on this week's edition of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Frozen and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kohler at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schindler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. Second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. win the championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Blue, I'm Steve Dace, and welcome to a day we have long waited for. We finally, finally get to talk some ball here on Michigan Podcast. We'll be joined by our good friend and somewhat reasonable Ohio State fan, Mark Rogers, coming up here in the next segment. But let us begin with what we teased at the top. Version 3.0 is out, and it is official. Michigan has another 2020 football schedule, but something about this one makes us think that it's going to stick. Yeah, it's a little weird getting your crotch kicked in by the Buckeyes for Christmas, but I guess, hey, we've been taking it in the shorts over Thanksgiving for a good many years. Why not throw in the most wonderful time of the year while we're at it? The rest of this challenging, daunting schedule, I have thoughts, and I will share them with you now. Beginning with this very first one. 
My power ratings currently have Michigan favored by a field goal or more in six of these games. Penn State at home, I currently have rated a toss-up. And I have Michigan a two-touchdown underdog at Ohio State, but it would be higher with fans. That's just straight up kind of a one point on the road and then the personnel and history between the two teams. Now, that that doesn't mean I'm predicting Michigan to go 6-2. and two. That's not a prediction. That is a power rating. That right now, I have Michigan favored by a field goal or more, regardless of where the game is played, against six of its opponents. Now, I am assuming that Ambry Thomas and Nico Collins are not on the roster. If they were to come back, then I think that adds about a point to my uh, power ratings. So, for example, um, without them and without any fans, I have Michigan right on a three-point favorite at Minnesota in the opener. With them, without any fans, I'd have them at a four-point favorite. If there were fans at the Minnesota game, that game for the opener would be rated as a toss-up as well. All right, our next thought here, thought number two on Michigan's 2020 schedule Back to that opener at Minnesota. I I think it's the swing game for the entire season. I think Michigan clearly has the more talented roster in my power ratings, but there's a big, pardon me, a big matchup problem here for us in an opener. And it's those Minnesota receivers with Rashad Bateman opting back in. Now we have a second secondary, likely without or perhaps without Ambry Thomas, easily our best corner. There's been some talk of Dax Hill playing some corner as well as safety. You kind of get worried, though. You spread him too thin, and it's kind of a Robin Peter to pay Paul situation. It's the very first game. We're going to have a rusty offense, you know, a new offensive line, Joe Milton making his first start at quarterback, which we predicted he would be the starting quarterback here on Michigan Podcast way back in January. People told us we were nuts, and now here we are. But it could be a game where, Hey, we've seen this before under Don Brown, right? 80% of the time, he just shuts offenses down, but can lose the whole game on those other 20% of plays if they're big plays. We've seen this before under Michigan defensive coordinator Don Brown, and Minnesota has that kind of an offense. You could stop them, stop them, stop them, and then those receivers, uh, they get behind you on a couple of plays, win the game, and then you have a young offense playing its first game. Is it ready to score 28-plus points in its very first game if that's what it takes to win? So I think this is the swing game for the entire season. If Michigan wins this game, then I believe it's barring something unforeseen. And, well, it is 2020, the year of the unforeseen. <laughs> but if, if they win this game, let's just put it this way then. Let's be a little bit more prudent. If Michigan wins this game, the odds are much higher that it goes into Columbus for its perennial whooping uh, for a shot at the Big Ten Championship. It probably won't win. If it loses this game, the odds go down precipitously that the closing game of the season against Ohio State is for anything other than bragging rights, as in Ohio State getting to brag the right to brag about beating us yet again, unfortunately. And I am sad. All right, next takeaway from Michigan's football schedule. I don't expect Micah Parsons back for Penn State. If he were back for Penn State, that would add about two to three points to Penn State. I think he's the most valuable defensive player in the country. I think his impact on a defense is 
almost from a point spread perspective, the impact of a starting, a top-rated starting quarterback losing him or having him back uh, for a team on offense. So if Micah Parsons were to opt back in for Penn State, I would actually have Penn State favored at Ann Arbor on Thanksgiving weekend. But without him, I have Michigan a slight favorite, but only by a couple of points. And then our final takeaway on Michigan's 2020 schedule, if I were an odds maker, I'd be putting Michigan's season win total at five and a half. Again, that would just be in order to get bets. It wouldn't be a prediction. Now, I'm going to find out later in the show, because I put this out on my Twitter at Michigan Podcast, I'm going to find out later in the show what you folks think. That's our Twitter question of the week. Those results are coming your way later on. If that were the win total out of eight games, we're not counting the ninth one since we don't know who the opponent is. So out of eight games, would you take the over or the under? Me, I'd bet the under. Simply because I think five and three is more likely than six and two. And I think four and four is almost as likely as six and two. So I'm a play the odds kind of guy more so than a hunch. Doesn't mean I don't ever play hunches. I just rarely do. Most of the time I play the odds. Now those numbers would change more in Michigan's favor if they can get Ambry and Nico back. But as things stand right now, I'm not optimistic about that. All right, we're going to switch gears. Let's find out what they think about uh, Michigan's schedule as well as the Big Ten schedule as a whole from the enemy camp when Mark Rogers joins us for the 10-minute war next. Now that football season is here, it is a great time to join us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Michigan podcast for a dollar a month, $5 a month, maybe up to $25 a month. What you can get as well, not just the opportunity to support what we do here, but exclusive access to my stone cold upsets, lead pipe game locks for college football. I'm already off to a one and start. I had Army minus three against Middle Tennessee State. That game panned out. And then look at that record I have compiled so far this year in Major League Baseball. 67 and 34 is my record right now with the Major League Baseball picks that we have put up on the site, patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. We've got my NFL simulation from my power ratings. Also, my best bet NFL win totals for 2020. This is the time to get on board and join us on our Patreon page. Thanks to all of you that have been supporting us already. Make sure you join us too. Patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. With an homage to the great 10-year war between Bo and Woody, or Woody and Bo, depending on what side of the border you're on, it is time for this week's 10-minute war with our good friend and Ohio State fan, Mark Rogers. Good to have you back with us, Mark. How are you, brother? I'm doing just fine, Steve. Uh, Good to see you, and uh, good to have some football on the horizon, we believe. Let's start there. They're not going to cancel this one, are they? No, I don't think they are. How, How good is it to talk some actual ball, Mark? That's why we started this deal. That's why you started your YouTube channel and your podcast and everything else you do. We, we actually want to talk football. Uh, I've had to become a medical expert. You've actually delved into that realm much, much more successfully than I have. More than Certainly. I ever wanted to or ever want to, ever have to, ever again. And I grew up with a mom for a, a nurse for a mom, spent plenty of time in hospitals and doctor's offices, summer jobs, working for her. Uh, no thanks. I, I'd like to go back to just uh, being an idiot savant about college football, if you don't mind. Thank you. 
I'm right there with you. So it's fun to talk some ball. We have a schedule, version 3.0. Your overall big picture thoughts on the Big Ten's 2020 slate, starting with the game, moved to the final game of the season again, scheduled now for December the 12th. Over at Wolverine Digest, we talked to a television executive. You can probably guess it's only going to be with one of a few networks whose opinions matter here, right? Who told us that if for COVID reasons they had to postpone the game, they would go to the Big Ten and rather put off the Big Ten championship game, cancel that. They'd rather have Michigan-Ohio State on the air than the Big Ten championship game, even with that rivalry, a shell of its former self because of how much Ohio state has just ransacked uh, and pilloried the Michigan program for the last going on two decades. So your thoughts on that. And then the schedule as a whole that we saw unveiled on Saturday, Mark. Well, I love that perspective. I just can't imagine that the other 12 institutions and their football programs <laughs> would be in line with that, especially right. the, the Western division winner. They, they would be the, the real loser in all of this, although they've lost every conference championship game since the East and the West were established in 2014, which leads me to, despite that Eastern division dominance at the top, I think a lot of people would be surprised that the series is 59-53 in favor of the East, with I'm sure Rutgers in particular in Maryland weighing down the Eastern division dominance uh, that uh, pretty much hits those spots one through three. You, Steve, I think you would agree with me are going to have to deal with, and Jim Harbaugh more directly, the most difficult schedule in the conference. And I don't think it's debatable. Uh, So this is a practice I go through each and every Big Ten season and with the other conferences that play crossover games. The Big 12 would be excluded from this. Who do you play in the other division? And it's typically three teams, of course, uh, and will be three. We just don't know that, that last game on championship weekend for everyone. But for Michigan, it's the two top seeds from last season. So they're playing a combined 15 and three Wisconsin, Minnesota combination from the previous season in the Big Ten. Whereas for Ohio State, Illinois, Nebraska, seven and 11, Penn State, uh, a group of nine and nine teams in Nebraska and Iowa. So Michigan comes away with the most difficult schedule in the Big Ten, uh, as I see it. Although the, the difficult games are at least spread out. And so that's the other scheduling measurement and metric I go through is to find that gauntlet. Who has to persevere through a gauntlet? And I was pretty impressed with the the distribution of the difficult games for everyone. I could not find that gauntlet for anyone. Well, it's tough to get an easy schedule in a 14-team league that's as deep as this one. Now, I would argue Rutgers has the toughest schedule every year because they're Rutgers. And then I would argue Ohio State has the softest schedule every year because they're Ohio State. I think your roster dictates the difficulty of your schedule more than anything else, right? But in terms of the the way the slate is aligned, Michigan's probably is the hardest, but there was nothing the Big Ten could do. Uh, Wisconsin was the protected rivalry for the season. You couldn't keep Purdue because it's it's an eight-game schedule, so you have to have four home and four away, and Purdue was the home game. And so it had to go. We had to get a fourth road game in the league somewhere, and that left us to Minnesota, who was already on the schedule. I suppose they could have kept the Northwestern road game that they added back, added back in August when we, were, when we were going to do 10 games. But then if they had dropped Minnesota and added Northwestern, 
the perception would have been that they were trying to help and boost Michigan because Minnesota was always supposed to be on our schedule this year, right? So there, there really wasn't much else the Big Ten could do. Um, uh, and, and, you know, you and I are a little bit older now. You and I remember an era where we just played all these teams every year anyway. You know, now the league wasn't necessarily as deep back then as it is now, but it wasn't the big two and the little eight of the 1970s either. I mean, a lot of these teams in the in in in, in the 80s and especially into the 90s and early 2000s would have really good seasons. I mean, Glenn Mason frequently had teams that were in the top 25 nationally at Minnesota. Bill Mallory frequently had teams that were in the top 20 back then. It was top 20 nationally at Indiana in the 1980s. So I mean, we played all these teams. Every year, anyway, it, we we just we we never really had the luxury of looking who do you miss because, you know, we were playing so so much of our conference schedule without divisions as it was. I also think though you can't rate schedule difficulty no matter who it is, even for Ohio State. And this brings me to my second question: Would you take Justin Fields and Ohio State or the field for the Big Ten championship? Here's why I would bet the field. Hands down, without even thinking about it. Not that I don't think Ohio State's not head and shoulders the best team. My power ratings have them head and shoulders the best team in the league. But everybody's focused on the the Big Ten testing metrics, and I think they're focused on the wrong metric, Mark. They're focused on that 5%. You can't have more than 5% of your players test positive, or you have to shut down for a week. We'll have a team or two that that will happen to. Um, it's happening to Notre Dame today as we speak. That's just the odds it will occur. But given the kind of contact tracing, or I'm sorry, given the kind of daily testing we're going to do in our league so that we don't have all these contact tracing sit outs, that's that's what's caused almost all these other college games to cancel. It's not been positive tests. It's been a few positive tests and then all the contact tracing you have to do to figure out you know, where the positive test came from. Our daily testing is going to get rid of a lot of contact tracing. I, I don't think you're going to see every team in the league have to shut down for a week, but I bet you you'll see a few. To me, the, the, the rule that's going to really impact the season is the 21-day mandatory quarantine for one positive test, which is twice the CDC guideline. I mean, you know, you could be Ohio State and be having a dream season. And 1st of December, Justin Fields tests positive for COVID-19. And suddenly that outlook looks a hell of a lot different than it did 24 hours ago. Know what I'm saying? Let's look at, let, let's imagine, a, you know, a couple of years ago, we played Wisconsin on a Saturday night game on, ESP, on, on ABC. We rushed for over 300 yards against them in that game. That was 2018. One of the reasons we did this is they had cluster injuries on their defensive front, and every player on our offensive line that night is playing in the NFL right now. So we just we just overmatched them up front. Well, let's imagine you only have two or three positive tests in a given week, but they're all corners. They're all defensive linemen. They're all tackles. And now you've got like a cluster injury situation that creates like a major mismatch on a game day. Um, to me, that is the testing rule that can really alter some of the outcomes in our league, which is why when I see sports books put Michigan and Iowa, respectable programs in their respective divisions, at 40 to 1 odds to win the Big Ten, I'd put 5 or 10 bucks down on that. Not that I would pick either Michigan or Iowa to win their divisions, but with these kinds of testing metrics that can throw rosters out of sorts for a half a season... Those teams are good enough that they could take advantage of that. I, I think it. I think that is part of people's analysis. They're not factoring in is that quarantine period. 
Well, if you follow the string of the relationships, I think what you're saying makes sense that a particular position unit could get hit very hard because those are the players that hang out together. So they they are in the team meetings. They're obviously practicing together, but then they're most likely building relationships that take them off uh, uh, out of the football facilities and and are together. Therefore, most likely there there is more of a possibility or probability that that's going to hit one positional unit, which leads me to when you talk about the three week mandate, uh, what does the Big Ten need to do or its champion or any contending team from the Big Ten in regards to qualifying for a college football playoff? Uh, we don't know what the qualification is. We never have and never will. Uh, even going undefeated, it's not a qualification because we've got five conferences and four spots. So there's no guarantee right, right. of making the playoff regardless of what you do. But in be, this be scenario, a team, be a team that they want to put in the playoff. Yes. That's what you have to do. Be a team that they because want to put in the playoff. The answer I get to the question, Steve, when I ask people, give me one qualification that will guarantee my right. team will make the college football playoff. And they say, go undefeated. So, no, that doesn't. Okay, okay, do. I can give you one. Be a team coached by Nick Saban that has fewer than two losses. That I can tell you will get you in the playoff. Period. That should get it done. Okay. But what I that brings me to is if we've got a Big Ten champion with only six or seven games played instead of the nine games played, that could be difficult in regards to. Uh, what's going on in the other conferences and a second place SEC team being impressive. And it probably comes down to, remember, we're not looking, it's a little bit like when you're on the NCAA tournament selection committee, right? They always hold up, they always hold up like somebody's resume. That doesn't tell me anything because I need to look at their resume as compared to the other people that are vying for the same spot that they are. So it's, it's not a selection. It's, it's a comparison. And the same thing goes here as well that, yeah, I would say in a, in a vacuum, only playing five or six games will make it very difficult for you to make the playoffs. But we're not in a vacuum. So, I mean, North Carolina is going to go a month between games, right? Um, how many games does Clemson get in? How many games does Alabama get in? How many games? See, we don't know. How many games does Oklahoma get in? Looks like Oklahoma's not playing this weekend now against Kansas State. Okay, so we because we don't know those things, it's not in a vacuum. So however many games it takes to be viewed legitimately as one of the top four teams, and we don't know the answer to that because we've never faced a circumstance like this. So we don't know how this is going to play out around the country. Because of the guidelines in the Big Ten, I didn't think that this statistic would necessarily be uh, valid, but now since we've heard the news about Oklahoma earlier in the day and now possibly Notre Dame, uh, then maybe the 49 games that have been played to date in college football in the FBS versus the 11 canceled or postponed, considering that the Big Ten is going to play 56 games. If that ratio holds, then we've got 10 canceled games. Yeah. And so how are those spread out? Are they... Do we have one program that doesn't know its its head from its uh, from its uh, from its bunghole, Beavis? Looking at you, Rutgers, and so they're like four of the games. You know, we don't know that. Or is it every team gets you know a bunch of you know ten out of fourteen teams loses one game? That's the other randomness of this. We don't know either. And so if you're a team that doesn't have for like for Michigan, you know, much was made of of Ohio State's backup quarterback situation last year. It doesn't look like it's that much better this year. So for Michigan, 
when it, nobody would have said a few months ago that former four-star recruit Cade McNamara, who broke all kinds of passing records in the state of Nevada, decommitted from Notre Dame to sign with Michigan. All right. Um, he all winter long, even before we were talking about COVID, there was a lot of talk about, hey, this guy has really come on. I mean, he's going to be a factor. If whoever doesn't win the starting job, he's going to push that guy for the backup job. Well, suddenly now, he could be a key, a, a guy like that that no, is on nobody's radar could be the key factor in that. Because what happens in today's college football is when you have a quarterback competition, typically the guy that loses it transfers, right? Because you only play quarterback one guy at a time. So we had a quarterback competition for the last nine months. I predicted back in January, Joe Milton would end up winning it. He did. Dylan McCaffrey opted out. He's transferring. Okay. If, if, if you didn't have this Cade McNamara young man step up, and, and re- I mean, look what happened to Oklahoma State when Spencer Sanders went out on Saturday and they got a glorified walk-on playing quarterback and darn near lost at home to Tulsa as a three-touchdown favorite, right? It, th- those are the kinds of stories. If you have to sit a guy out on top of all the other injuries, look at the injuries we just had in the NFL. How much of that was no preseason, limited contact in the fall, teams weren't scrimmaging together and going full and going full speed, Right. So throw in injuries, throw in no offseason. Now throw in the COVID testing. We, If you're doing handicapping and previewing teams, make sure you have a rating for who the backup quarterback is. Because at some point, you're probably going to need to see them. Nora, what, what are your thoughts on that, Mark? Well, I don't think there's any question that uh, we've already seen it play out in the span of just 49 games on the field. Uh, The prime example is the one that you just gave, and we had to go to the third string quarterback because the second guy isn't uh, wasn't effective enough. And I don't know that um, the average college football fan understands the amount of reps that or lack of reps that are given even to the second team quarterback to where they're they're typically uh, there's just an enormous gap for most teams from the first to the second team. So I understand your hesitancy to say Ohio State um, should be the choice versus the field. I still have to believe in the talent and um, I, I get the point, but I don't know who that other team would be. And do they get hit with the same issues or similar issues? Sure. And I know the quarterback position is is worse than is more important than any other but um, I'm going to believe in the, the depth and the talent. And I'm usually a guy that takes the field versus the, the giant. Any other big takeaways you have from the Big Ten schedule you want to address before we let you go this week? I really don't think so. I looked at Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota in regards to an advantage there between the three Western Division uh, contenders. Didn't see anything there. And just to give everybody just a little primer on what we could see the final weekend on that championship weekend, if it would play out exactly, the standings would would fall in order as they did last year. Or take your predictions, whether that be you, Steve, or anybody watching us, take your Big Ten predictions in the East and West and line them up and just see what kind of fun games and matchups we would have that final weekend. So if we just take the standings from 2019, we've got Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Minnesota, Michigan, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan State, Nebraska, Maryland, Purdue, and Rutgers and Northwestern. Now, Barry Alvarez also said they were they were going to try to avoid rematches that final weekend if they could. We'll see how that works. You know, I mean, you can't have the team that finished third playing the team that finished ninth because you don't want a rematch, right? 
because part of this is to get that ninth game for television contractual reasons. But I love the concept of it. By the way, Tom Deanhart on the Purdue Rivals Rivals site said it was actually Jim Harbaugh's idea to do this. Um, so I, I love the idea. In fact, I think it's something we ought to consider as a league every single year. I mean, when you're when you're looking at big, uh, you know, those New Year's Six bowl slots, things of that nature. All these other leagues have all their teams, other than their top two teams, sitting at home. All of your teams could be on national television building resumes that championship weekend. I, I love this idea. I think it's something we should do maybe going forward. But I think uh, if we take it all the way back to the inception of the BCS in 1998, which has been the model of the New Year's Six currently, the SEC and the Big Ten have filled those spots anytime there's been a selection that needed to be made. Uh, the Big Ten has had a hand in that more than any other conference except the SEC. And then you're just looking for an extra loss, though, for a Penn State or Michigan, let's say, against a Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, though, on that championship weekend. Or an extra win. You're sitting there. I mean, remember, Barry Alvarez was on the selection committee for the college football playoff the year both the two years, Ohio State and Alabama got into the playoff without even winning their own divisions, right? So let's say Penn State goes you know, has one cancellation and then goes six and one. And their only loss is to Ohio state. Cause they won't have, that won't be a real whiteout game in week two. There won't be anybody there. It, it, it won't be a, you know, a typical whiteout atmosphere for that game. So let's say that's Penn state's only loss six and one. And then they go play at the end of the year. Everybody else is sitting at home. We don't have anybody else that has more than a couple of loss, fewer than a couple of losses. They go out there and play a Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa win comfortably seven and one. That could boost your playoff resume, right? Doesn't have sure to be could. a negative. You can take advantage of the opportunity. Listen, as a Michigan fan, I I know that we could take advantage of the opportunity and actually win this game at the end of the year for once. I've just lost all hope in the rest of my lifetime we will. But that doesn't stop other teams from taking advantage of these opportunities. They could go out there and actually win that game instead, Mark. And and, they don't have to lose it. They could win it and bolster their resumes. And probably would win the game 75 to 80% of the time based on what we've seen out of those upper echelon Big Ten teams after the champion versus the rest of the league and even a contending team out of the West. So it would fall into a benefit to the big 10. Most of the time, as you just stated, also one other note, you asked me about Ohio state, Michigan uh, earlier, and I failed to take into account the date of the game, December 12th. So it's not in Ann Arbor, which is typically I'm guessing eight to 10 degrees cooler than Columbus at that time of year. But still, December 12th in Columbus, I think uh, for any Ohio State or Michigan fan looking back upon the history of the game, um, sure, this this game has been played in 18-degree weather and it's been played in 65-degree weather. It always seems to be a bit of a wild card um, some years that final weekend of November. But we're really getting into treacherous territory in mid-December. This is the 70th, this year is the 70th anniversary of what some think, the old timers will tell you, is, the, is one of the most famous games in the history of the, of the game. And that was the Snow Bowl in 1950. A legendary, like that uh, montage on the blizzard before Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's what happened in Ohio that year. <laughs> okay, And they played the game. Nevertheless, Michigan threw, pulled a huge upset. Uh, against Ohio State, who had the Heisman Trophy winner, I believe, that season, uh, and ended up going to the Rose Bowl. Maybe with the game in mid-December, maybe we'll have a wintry wonderland because Lord knows we need all the help that we can get at this point. Mark, it's good to see you, brother. As always, thanks for joining us.
Yes, we will note that despite the loss in 1950, we held you without a first down in that game. Scoreboard, though. No argument. Mark, Mark, I've got no wins in 15 years. Please don't take the past away from me. I'm a Michigan fan, Mark. The past is all I have. Don't take it away. Thank you. I'm done. Thank you. Well, I teased these earlier, and here we are. I'm setting Michigan season win total at five and a half out of the eight known conference games. Are you on the over or the under? Close vote. 56% of you said over. 43% or 44% of you voted under. That's the way that I would bet. Because I just think, as I said earlier, I think five and three is more likely than six and two. And I think four and four is about as likely as six and two. So I would play those odds. Now, if you give me Ambry and Nico back, I'd probably still keep the win total at five and a half. It'd probably be like 5.75 on my power ratings. So I'd probably bet the over then. I mean, you're talking about two of the top three players I had rated on this roster going into the season. So getting them back, I think, could very well make a a one-game difference in a win total. That brings us to this week's question of the week from Scott Tamaling, who says, Steve, would you take Urban Meyer as Michigan's coach if he was willing? No. Now, let me say this about Urban Meyer. All-time great coach. You could argue post-World War II, he is in a camp with Frank Leahy, Nick Saban, Bear Bryant. That that he is in that company. That that is some rarefied air. I mean, that that's a uh, that's the top layer of the atmosphere where those guys reside in in the college football coaching hierarchy. And I I think you can make a compelling argument that he belongs in that group, but he extracts a heavy toll. Uh, He left a mess at Florida. He foisted a mess upon Ohio State. And it's, it's the kind of mess that, given my own background dealing with domestic violence growing up, I just, I don't have a lot of, of patience for. And I'm, I'm kind of at a zero tolerance policy for that. So no, um, I, I don't see that as a match. I, I don't think the administration at Michigan would let him get away with some of the things that maybe other administrations would, would, would allow him to do as well. I just don't see it as a fit. Um, and as great of a coach as he is, my answer would be no. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Wasn't it fun, though, to finally get to talk some ball? We're going to keep doing it now on Michigan Podcast. We're just about four weeks away from the first game of the season against those Minnesota Golden Gophers, a rivalry game for the Little Brown Jug right out of the gate. Can't wait. Camp opens up at the end of the month. It took longer than we thought and hoped, but we finally arrived. Thank you for tuning in here this week on Michigan Podcast. Don't forget to follow us at Michigan Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Check us out online at WolverineDigest.com, Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. Like, rate, share, subscribe, whichever the case may be, whether it's YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. Keep those coming. Help us to spread the word, to get the word out to other Michigan fans just like you. Have a great week. We're back again next time right here on Michigan Podcast. Go Blue.